The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... A charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. my friends and welcome to this another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris joined as always on this midweek episode by Patrick Darty, Denny Carter. Gentlemen, how are we? It's uh it's per- I think it's perfect. Everything is going well in the NFL. Uh, I think that that's the <laughs> one thing we can say. You know, outside right. of that, who knows, you know, we're kind of all the dog holding the coffee in the room full of flames. But in the <laughs> NFL it's fine. No, I I I'm of course kidding. It's a it's a disaster in the NFL, and who knows who's going to play this week. Yeah, A.J. Brown, it's already a disaster, and you know, there's already a player like kind of posting about having plausible deniability, which is what A.J. Brown did. Like, you can't prove it's me in the picture. And uh, by the way, I'm sorry for posting the picture of the Titans working out. I was just trying to do a nice little fun thing for everybody to know it was going to ruin everything. What, what was that movie, Nightcrawler, where the guy like chases the crime scenes? You're doing that with COVID practices in the NFL now? Yeah, yeah. Mr. Jake Gyllenhaal is just driving That's around you. in a, a beat-up Honda Accord. You've always said you look like Roger Federer, Pat. It might be Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the flatter. The flatter. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, either either way, I think it's pretty flattering. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. You know, I was thinking that the Bucks did this back back in in July, in the summer, yes. and they they were holding uh, you know practices that they were not actually legally able to hold, not legally, but you know by the by the rules of the NFL, unsanctioned, some would call it. 
uh, that that seemed to kind of blow over and i i guess because nothing came of it you know there there was no outbreak for tampa so uh, it'd be interesting to see how you know harshly the the titans are are, are penalized here by the yeah, I, and i'm not the smartest man in the room but it's dumbfounding and i even thought this at the time pat and i think we discussed it how the nfl didn't like bake in any extra buffer weeks in the nfl schedule they basically scheduled everything like it was a normal year and sure it was somewhat of a normal year through the first three weeks of the season but this was I mean this was inevitable and I understand that that's a difficult job that planning something that has never happened before is nearly impossible but it feels like they didn't give themselves any leeway and then they continue to change the rules each and every week now and I know that we can't retroactively have a 2-0 forfeit with the Steelers and the Titans. And maybe that happens this week with the Titans and whoever else, but I don't know. It just feels like something was misaligned along the way. Well, so the NFL's retort to this has been, you know, they built in. So the Super Bowl can be played three weeks later than usual, which is true. And that's fine. But this is not a situation where you're going to want to like be tacking on like what a few random games at the end of the year. There should have been like a universal bye week built into like yeah. the middle of the schedule. Or they should have done they were they're talking about potting all the non-conference games at the end of the season, the ones that don't affect the division. So those would be like the easiest to remove. Those would be the easiest to cancel if you had to reschedule division games, conference games at the end of the year. And like it was like you said, this is gonna be a thankless job no matter what, because this is unprecedented. I mean. It's very it's a classic situation where it's very easy to take shots at the NFL in this situation, but yeah, I just feel like they didn't even meet like the bare minimum of like uh, the, the challenge that they needed to rise to with making the schedule. And it's gonna be like total chaos. I, I also think sure we can criticize the NFL at large, but Denny, at some point, what we've realized, you know, being surrounded by this league for so long is that these are 32 different organizations. Like these are 32 different companies that are run so differently and some will handle this better than others. And what it sounds like that happened with the Titans is that they thought they would take it into their own hands to practice and get ready for this game when that was laid out as against the rules. Like right. that's just bad management of your organization to not declare that to your players that, hey, you should not do this. You lost that opportunity to prepare for the game when you had a, a, an outbreak and apparently, you know, they, they weren't being uh, careful or careful enough. Uh, and, and that's kind of what led to this. So, yeah, I mean, that's part of the consequences. Uh, we, we could see a team like the Titans have their season completely go down the drain, you know, because, because of COVID and, and their lack of adherence uh, to protocols. The practice, the off books practice of the high school would be one thing, but this was after the, you know, there were already rumors and already an investigation about the NFL yeah. investigating them for improper protocol. And uh, I mean, just at this point, there's nothing left to say. I mean, there's a humongous disaster and error on their behalf. And again, I, I don't have a firm grasp on this virus, right? This, this, I this deadly disease. Yeah. It's, it's again, I'm going to use this word impossible to know, especially for, a novice like me. But what we have also learned at the most secure, supposedly, organization at the top of this country, mm -hmm. I mean, we have seen that it takes four, five, six, seven days for you to go from asymptomatic showing nothing and testing negative to then testing positive. And when we see all these results on a Thursday, a Friday, a Saturday, and then, oh, we'll just move the game one day, right. it just like sends this uneasy feeling like down my spine that, Hey, we're doing something wrong, but I don't know what the right answer is. It feels yeah, wrong. I mean, 
Yeah, I would say my lizard brain, like Sunday morning, you know, like I was happy that like the Chiefs and uh, Patriots were still going to play Monday night. Like the the lizard part of my brain is like very happy that I'm still getting the football game. Yeah, like the analytical uh, part of my brain is like, well, this seems like a bad idea. Uh, yeah. to just like you said, just assume basically take as an article of faith there will be no more positives. And it certainly appears that the Chiefs, uh, the Patriots played a game Monday night where Stefan Gilmore was potentially breathing COVID all over everyone. Yeah, going to have to tighten it up. Yeah, I, was that a Titans joke, Pat? No. <laughs> the, um, we've been told it can't let it, uh, we can't let it dominate our lives. But um, I think NFL teams have to take it more seriously. I think They need to let know, it dominate their lives. Yes, so. let it. I think, you know, my, my suggestion to every NFL head coach would be let COVID dominate your life and it would be <laughs> better for the league. It truly would. It's not. I have a question for you guys. So when we're talking about punishment for the Titans. I don't think they're going to like have them forfeit games just because of how crazy that is. And like how, you know, that cast a really dark cloud over the season. But if you were the Titans, would you rather forfeit two football games or lose your first round pick? Well, Pat, their first round pick, I'm not sure if you have seen what he ha- what he has done this year, but he's done absolutely nothing. I mean, he I think he has more arrests off the field than snaps in, in season this year. So well, do you know where he's been the past month also? On the COVID on the list. COVID nineteen list. <laughs> yes. Uh, so Good point. They'll just waste it anyway. So I don't know. I feel at some point when, sure, outbreaks are going to happen. Maybe not outbreaks, but positive tests are going to happen because these players don't live in a bubble. They go home where their kids have been in school. And at some point, I and again, I'm no expert, but the handling of those outbreaks inside your organization, it's your responsibility. It's the classic situation where even if you do everything right, yeah, uh, the problems go well beyond the NFL, obviously. True. And the NFL, I mean, it's you can't have stuff like what the Titans did, but you can still do everything right. It's love COVID positive. So it's kind of just like uh, you need to be responsible. And the, we've had teams not even meeting that bare minimum requirement. We, at the very least, we need all 32 teams taking this very seriously and yet letting it dominate their lives. Let this dominate Mike Zimmer's life. COVID is just dominating every hardo NFL coach's life for the next four months. Obviously, you can't prevent positives, but then if you follow everything by the book, like by the protocols, then you've done everything right. But it certainly sounds like that hasn't happened here. Yeah. All right. I would say that this happening has not been a shocking development so far through four weeks of the NFL season. This was kind of inevitable in a lot of people's eyes. But we did. I did set out a task for, for each of us to join forces, bring to each, and bring to the table the six shocking developments of 2020. Now, guys... We do not know what the other person is going to say. Hopefully, we do not overlap. If we do, one of us will have to think on their feet, which I'm sure will make for an even more entertaining show. We'll go around the horn, person by person, development by development. Uh, Diddy Carter, yes. why don't you start us off today? Okay, I will. I'm glad. I'm glad I get the first one, just in you case. Do. First one is Justin Jefferson's emergence uh, in Minnesota. You know, it's something that I did not, expect because you know that that team operates in such a high t way you know uh run first run always no matter what even when they're down you know even when they're losing even with a terrible defense and their and their defense is truly bad for jefferson to get the opportunity now two weeks in a row uh to run a lot of routes and and get a good good amount of targets we've seen the results you know uh two 100 yard games he has a bigger share of the vikings air yards over the past two weeks, then Adam Thielen and uh, Thielen only has one more target than Jefferson over these two weeks. 
of his of his breakout. And of course, you know, in the short term, Jefferson and, and Thielen get the Seahawks this week and the worst secondary in the league. You know, and Mike Zimmer and the Vikings in general just seem like a team and a coach. They don't not really into rookies. You know, to, you know, let them let them sit. They're young guys. Let them sit. We're going to play the veterans. Remember, BC Johnson was was slotted in ahead of. Uh, Jefferson to start the season. I mean, way back in August, they were like, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's BC Johnson uh, on the other side of Thielen. And uh, you just thought, okay, well, they're, they're, they're not, they're not going to use him. Like, like pretty much no matter what, they're not going to use Jefferson. And now he is a pretty much a must start in 12 team leagues. This is someone who has unlocked this Vikings offense the last two weeks. I mean, without him, where we saw from week one and week two, Pat, we saw one of the worst teams in the NFL. I mean, from top to bottom, and especially defensively, like this team has been a train wreck. We've talked about this before, Pat. Kirk Cousins is one of those players who, like, I think momentum is real for him in that if he's in rhythm and he's inside the structure of an offense, he can have top 10 quarterback performances, top five quarterback performances. Now, a lot of that is then based on the offensive line. A lot of it is then based on open wide receiver play. And when he doesn't get that, he looks like a bottom five or bottom 10 quarterback in the NFL. So having Justin Jefferson be really that Stefan Diggs role, who he replaced one for one because of this draft pick. I mean, I believe half of his receptions have gone for 20 plus yards. That is not only shocking, for a rookie to do, but also shocking from the type of player that we saw at LSU, Pat. So that's why this has been shocking to me, where he, Justin Jefferson, a very different style football player than Nikhil Harry, but when I watched Justin Jefferson's like college film, and again, this is like 20 minutes of film I'm watching here. I'm not like I'm here, Mr. Film Grinder, but I saw the same issue that I saw with Nikhil Harry two years ago. I'm like, I don't think this guy can separate at the NFL level. Like Even in like his highlights, his great cut-ups, He's still catching passes, you know, with very little separation. That's what I saw on the LSU film, and that has not been the player uh, we've seen the past two weeks. And maybe it's scheme, maybe it's explosive talent taking over. But you said not he's not only is he getting separation, yeah, he's one of been one of the best big play threats in the NFL at receiver over the past two weeks. And I believe I've been needing to double check the stat all week, Josh. I already decided to do another podcast. But I think all four of his week four receptions were twenty plus yards, which is wow. just nuts. Wow. And like you alluded to, or like this was a necessity for the Vikings because you just yeah. you can't be a one a one weapon offense in the past game in 2020. You just can't, and they're probably still going nowhere. But I mean, they were really going nowhere. Yeah. Justin Jefferson didn't uncork this, and it has been a shocking development. In the offseason, I was all over a lot of rookies. You know, I actually thought that would be a market inefficiency in terms of uh, people being nervous that rookies could perform at a high level. Now that means. I have bombed my Jalen Rager and Henry Ruggs stock so far. Uh, now, a lot of that is due to injury, I believe, because if they were on the field, the opportunity would be there. But C.D. Lamb has been great. Jerry Judy, I think, has been up and down, but mostly a positive. And Denny, in just a two-week performance, I mean, Justin Jefferson is probably neck and neck with, with C.D. Lamb yeah. as that number one rookie wide receiver right now for the rest of the season. Right, and CeeDee Lamb has the advantage of being uh, in an insane pass-heavy Dallas yep. offense, you know, where Jefferson is is certainly not. I, I would say Jefferson's emergence, uh, it, it's a little different, but it feels a little bit OBJ-ish from Ooh. you know from when he when he came on, you know, because he really wasn't used early on. We weren't sure if he was going to get a chance. He got the chance. He blew up. He, the, the whole team became centered on on him offensively. I, I don't know if that's going to happen for Jefferson, but it feels a little bit like that. 
it was also similar in the expectations department. LBJ or LBJ, LBJ <laughs> was not that high. I mean, he he ended that season with like zero fantasy hype whatsoever. Yeah, and then didn't even play the first four games. So it is very similar in that regard. Yeah, I always wonder this season, like, what if we did have preseason? Like, who would have shined and who did not, and who would have improved their you know draft status, so on and so forth. But we mentioned it, the Texans. And Titans, he's done very well. And the next two matchups, Seahawks and Falcons, are absolutely two games. Even with the Vikings having, I believe, the least pass attempts per game on average, 32nd in the league right now, uh, he is absolutely valuable. All right, Pat, you're up next. To me, it's been my shocking thing, Josh, uh, to reset the podcast, has been the complete failure of this young group of tight ends to emerge. And not complete failure because we've had Jonu Smith kind of live up to the hype. We have Noah Fant kind of live up to the hype. You know, Jonah Smith is now in the COVID purgatory. Noah Fant is hurt. And one of the preseason summer storylines heading into the season was tight end is deeper than ever. We finally got a wave of young talent that's going to revitalize and replenish the tight end position, which, you know, is bad most years, was very bad last year. And instead, you know, we've got Evan Ingram not taking a step forward. We've got Tyler Higby falling back to four targets per game. We have Mike Jacecki with one good game in four games. You have Hayden Hurst having a bit of a floor, but no ceiling so far. TJ Hawkinson being held back by his coaching staff. Chris Herndon doing absolutely nothing for a team that has no, you know, valuable targets that were someone who should be getting – they should be forcing the ball to Chris Herndon, and he's apparently not even good enough like to force the issue to command targets. Uh, you know, Ian Thomas doing nothing, and just that has been a very disappointing thing to me. And you know, and even like veteran values. To, I mean, a lot of people did not agree with this; thought it was a donkey opinion. Like I thought Austin Hooper and Rob Gronkowski. I thought their ADPs got way too out of control, like in the reverse way, like way too low. I'm like, this fading is going way too far with these guys. Uh, spoiler alert: I was wrong. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Just like thinking basically this is going to be a year where we tied in would be 15 or 16 deep. And instead it's, it's shallower than ever through a quarter of the season. I'm even looking at these situations. Like I'm looking at where these guys were drafted. You mentioned Tyler Higby, sixth round, Robert Gronkowski, seventh round. Hayden Hurst was the eighth round. I mean, I keep going on and on and on. And it's not like these players, you know, just have been scripted out of situations. They should be shining in a lot of these situations. Hayden Hurst, no Russell Gage, no Julio Jones, and Hayden Hurst still can't catch a pass. Uh, Chris Herndon, Jamison Crowder's out. They're playing Braxton Berrios, Chris Hogan, all these other guys. At the very least, you should be able to get him the football, right? And, and I keep looking at this, and you know, I've gotten a lot wrong, Pat. Johnny Smith was the good call, but that was like finding a needle in a haystack because everyone else other than Mike Kosicki has had a few. You mentioned Noah Fant. If Dallas Goddard said healthy, that would have been great. But where we thought that this was a strength of a, of drafts and where we wanted to attack, it's, as you said, proven not to be. I would say, sorry, to, Chris Hernan is the biggest disappointment of the oh, by no, the way. The, the Jets, is, Josh, Denny, like we read football tweets all day, every day. I have every day for, you know, 10 or 11 years. And so we've heard of most players in the NFL and the Jets are funneling targets to players I have literally never heard of occasionally. <laughs> and like the fact that Chris Herndon cannot break through in that situation is just breaking my heart. It is remarkable. I, I sometimes wonder why do we draft tight ends? Like what, why, why don't we just completely, you know, kick the can on tight end and like pick one up before week one, you know? Mm. Um, I mean, I, sometimes I, I end up doing that, but you talk about the, you know, Hayden Hurst types, they're on the field. They're on the they field. They're, they're running routes. 
Still nothing, still nothing. And, and I think it speaks to the position of tight end, which is why I hate it in fantasy football, is, is so volatile because it's so touchdown dependent except for the volume hogs. And you only have a few of those. You know, so unless you emerge as a tight end who's getting a ton of weekly volume, you're not you're, you're going to be up and down. You know, even Johnny Smith is going to be up and down at some point because a lot of what he's doing uh, is not sustainable, you know, target wise, touchdown wise. So you, you just you only have the Kelsey, you know, Kelsey Kittle, not Andrews. Andrews is not part of this conversation. You know, Andrews is getting by miraculously on three targets sometimes like last week against Washington. So uh, it's a it's a volatile position. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm just, I just try to drill it into my head sometimes. Don't ever draft a tight don't, don't just don't draft one. Just, just get I, one later. Danny, what I, positions do you draft? Let's just get this on the record. Only wide receivers. I draft 20 <laughs> wide receivers in a row. I, I thought you were about to take this podcast completely off the rails and suggest that we should do a tight end slash kicker position. Uh, a Denny flex is what yeah. league should, should take into consideration moving forward. I have in uh, the apex writers league. I, I have actually in, pre- in previous years, uh, done the following. I've, I've used my first five picks at wide receiver and the rest on running back. And that's it. I don't take quarterback defense kicker tight end. That's it. And then I fi- I figure it out later. I will move on from individual player slash positions and go to the league at large. Um, the reduced holding penalties to me has been an absolute shocker this season. And amazing. And I'll get to that in a moment from nflpenalties.com, which yes, is a real site. You can go check it out <laughs> through four weeks in 2019 there were 226 holding penalties this year through four weeks NFL season, 102. That's a drop off of 55%. I know. What? Praise, praise all the gods that are above <laughs> us. So to me, like, why is this shocking, right? Because every other off season, we know this from covering everything in February and March and April and so on and so forth. Owners meetings like dominate headlines, proposal rule changes, dominate headlines. We see 1000 Tom Pelissero reports from standing outside a country club in Florida, right? Endless speculation and blurbs on, on what might happen. You know, we saw the onside kick rules. We saw the reviewable pass interference penalties. I, I can keep going down the list. We basically this year had a rule change without any formal announcement, without any public decision, without any public declaration. And it has worked wonders for the entertainment of the game. So Pat, I ask you, if we could role play this, like what happened? There had to have been something from the owners to Roger Goodell or Roger Goodell to the, to the group of referees. I don't even know what it's called. The referee committee that said, Hey, this year, why don't we just cut the offensive holding penalties in half? Because we're having a really, really bad year worldwide. And maybe just a, (laughs) a few extra stops per game could really boost the morale of this entire country. I feel like the rational explanation, which you'd never really uh, assume with these people, would be that, you know, listen, with no off-season practices, with no preseason whatsoever, like the quality of play is going to be very shaky early in the season. Like we need to do something to kind of like band-aid that, to hide that a little bit. We can't have so many stoppages and you're like, yo, maybe this is dial back on holding. But that's kind of conspiratorial, and it'd be, I think that would be too rational, make too much sense. And <laughs> I don't really know, because it is weird, because like you said, there was no announcement about it. This was not an None. off-season storyline at all. And there's still been no comment on it as far as I know. Right, has there? but something had to have happened for this to be cut 55%, Denny. Like, this was a declaration from the top down, and in a league that it feels like we know a lot of what is going on from the top level – 
and decisions that are made like this, I mean, in the speculation year after year after year, we get nothing. It's been silence. I'm not disliking it. I like it, but it's, it's just crazy. And it is one of those conspiracy theories. If it goes that far, that's a fact. It has to be a fact. Yeah, I'd absolutely. I mean, you know, from what you were saying earlier, it sounds like this, this unannounced rule change was the cure for COVID. You know, I mean, that that was, maybe that was the hope. It gives us some joy in in the year uh, 2020. Uh, Yeah. I, I, you know, don't remember anything, you know, like, like you guys, I don't think, I don't remember any press reports, but you know, maybe the owners uh, watched the games and said, this is (laughs) awful. You know, when you watch a game, especially from a fantasy standpoint, uh, I have trained my brain uh, to look for the flag as soon as a big play happens. I don't look, I don't even look at the play. I don't even care what's happening. If I see a guy and he's open and the ball's coming, I look, I look at the the bottom part of the screen. Where's the yellow? Where's the yellow? <laughs> and that's a, that's a terrible way to watch a sport is just to constantly look out for the penalties. And I, and I, I find myself doing that less this year because of that massive decrease. It was becoming, I mean, I don't think of holding had like increased in recent years. It, it was just feeling like more of a drag than ever. Yeah. And, you know, we're all we're stuck in like a football Twitter echo chamber, but it definitely seemed like the complaints about quality of play were going up every year. And just like mm-hmm. between the reviews, between the nonstop penalties, so we got rid of holding. Apparently, we got rid of the pass interference reviews. Yeah, and it's done wonders for the pay. By the way, a weird analog for this is another huge American sports rule change that there was never a word about was the doctored baseball. In mm. baseball so maybe it's the nfl's equivalent of the juiced baseball and they just know it's a good thing there's somehow a conspiracy of silence to just let's let this be <laughs> no one admit to anything let's just let it ride and it's also led to one by the way and one amazing new trope is like now i love seeing like slow motion replays of a good play and in the background of the play there's a blatant holding that yeah. wasn't called <laughs> all right denny one more time around the horn you're up first all right the seahawks total an unbelievable inability to stop anyone from scoring. Uh, you know, this is, this is a, a shocking thing. And it's also a great thing for the, for the league and for fantasy, because it means that they're going to have to continue to let Russ cook. They can't pull the plug on that. And I, I believe, I believe if they could, they would, you know, if it, it you know, if, if the Seahawks had uh, even uh, a, you know, a middle, middle of the road defense, Right now, I think you would see games where you you have Russell Wilson handing it off more than he drops back, um, and you. But you can't do that. They cannot do that right now because they have to pour on the points uh, because they know they're going to give up twenty eight. You know, and that's probably being conservative. You know, even last week against against Miami, they they held them down for a while until until late in the game, and then and then Miami scored a few points. So I I just I I love that development. It's it's stunning how bad that secondary in particular is. I think they've allowed uh, 500 more yards to wide receivers this year <laughs> than any other team. 500. I, I mean, and we're, we're, we're not at midseason. We're we're only through four weeks, so they could they could pace to be one of the worst uh, uh, secondaries defenses of all time, and uh, that's awesome for fantasy. Can I tell you why it's even more shocking? Look at how they've invested in the draft over recent years. First round pick in 2020 was a linebacker. Yeah. Second round pick in 2020 was a defensive end. First round pick in 2019, defensive end. Second round pick in 2019, defensive back. 
second round or third round pick in 2018, Rasheem Green, defensive end. I mean, keep going down the list. Malik McDowell. I think they traded for Javion Clowney and Sheldon Richardson, like during that span of time as well. It's not like this team has just forgotten about defense. Like obviously the Chiefs haven't forgotten about defense, but they've created one where they have a few playmakers up front and that brought in free agency or in the draft, Chris Jones, Tyron Matthew, so on and so forth that could make those plays. Um, but Seattle, it's not like they tried to build this way, I don't think, Pat. Like, I don't think this was an active decision in their brain. I mean, even trading for Jamal Adams would indicate that, right? Where it's saying, okay, we need to be balanced. I think they wanted to be balanced. It just didn't just didn't work out that way. We see it all the time where if teams are road underdogs, we, we like those offenses in some cases, especially if they're good, if they would have a Russell Wilson or pass catchers because, you know, they have to do chase points. Well, this team has to chase points even if they're favored by 7 or 14 in a game because they can easily give up 7 or 14 in a single quarter to the other team. And it's also shocking just because for all the reasons you guys laid out. And then Pete Carroll is usually a guy I – mean, Pete Carroll is a very simple defensive scheme, but he's he's famous for – Pete Carroll is like – he's good at like kind of like duct taping and gluing like problems on defense. He's a very good defensive mind. And this isn't the first year. This has kind of become the norm for the Seahawks in recent years to kind of not have a ton of talent, like high-end talent on defense. And for Pete Carroll, just have no answers. It is genuinely shocking. I, I do worry, though, Denny, and we've, I think we've already talked about this on one of the shows. I do worry when it comes down to NFC Championship time or Super Bowl time, mm-hmm. if this one major weakness, what makes them so entertaining during the regular season, comes back to bite them and prevents them from winning a championship. That, I mean, that would suck. Sure. But I think it's fair to ask in, you know, a one and done scenario like the NFL playoffs are. I mean, yeah, as much as I loathe defense, you do have to eventually <laughs> stop someone. And, and uh, if you're talking about real football stuff. So, yeah, I don't I don't understand how uh, a team with a defense this bad. And it was bad, you know, before uh, Jamal Adams was was out. You know, I mean, it, it's not it's not like one injury ruined the whole thing. They were they were terrible. So, uh, I I going into the playoffs, which you know they very likely will, uh, with that kind of defense, they're going to have to score forty five points to to you know guarantee a win. And that's even with Russ cooking, that is a very difficult task. It's also worth questioning. What if that's just what this year is, right? Like, what if they are on the worst possible outcome of not having typical OTAs or training camp or preseason games? And, you know, by week 10, by week 12, maybe they have fixed it because we've seen Shaquille Griffin play better in the past. Their linebackers play better in the past. Obviously, Jamal Adams will come back healthy. Uh, I know that they're sixth in run D DVOA right now. One, that's because no one cares to run against them because they can just pass all over them. They're 29th in the league in past D DVOA. But... I'm not going to rule them out, obviously, because right now the offense can completely support them. And I bet we do have a game. Maybe this is a bold prediction. We do have a game where the defense bells them out one at one point this season, Pat. That might be crazy I, to say right now. I mean, Pete Carroll, the, Pete Carroll is the reason to kind of – I think Pete Carroll can figure something out. And there is an analog. I believe the year the Colts won the Super Bowl, they had basically no defense. Yeah. And they were like one of the, maybe the worst defenses to ever win. So it can be done, uh, but it is very rare. Pat, you're up next. I am shocked by the Ravens' complete inability to make anyone useful in fantasy aside from Lamar Jackson. They basically have one and a half useful non-Lamar Jackson fantasy assets to me. And like right now, that is just like totally shocking to me because it's one of the best offenses in the league. It's had one bad game, and yet none of their running backs are startable. 
Marquise Brown, it's not like the floor is totally bottomed out. It's not like a T.Y. Hilton, A.J. Green situation where there's no floor whatsoever. But zero ceiling from the number one receiver in an offense scoring 35 or 40 points a game. And even Mark Andrews, who is is still a top five tight end, like Denny alluded to earlier in the podcast, catching like three passes a game. And we we didn't think we knew this this offense would kind of be like this. We knew this wouldn't be the like the Dallas Cowboys, where like three or four receivers can be fantasy viable because they just don't have the talent at receiver. But yeah, for the fact that an offense can be this good and supporting so few players in fantasy is genuinely shocking to me. Like I thought at the very least, like we'd have to be like jamming like Willie Sneed into like the top right. forty eight or something <laughs> at receiver, or like Nick Boyle like into the top twenty at tight end or something. And it's just this no, there's. You can't start a single running back from the best rushing offense in the NFL. It's totally insane. Marquise Brown, and this is according to Hayden Winks' fantasy usage model, which you can check out on the site right now. It's in a column. Uh, Marquise Brown is the wide receiver 44 in fantasy usage, the wide receiver 59 in fantasy points. Mark Andrews, tight end 12 in fantasy usage, uh, tight end 7, and it's because of those touchdowns he keeps scoring. And then I'm not even going to try to find these running backs because that's just yeah. off the charts. I mean, where these guys were going, Denny, with J.K. Dobbins, and and uh, J.K. Dobbins was in the middle of the seventh round. Mark Ingram was early in the fifth round in drafts. It, it is shocking where this team barely changed, right, Pat? I know Ronnie Stanley's missed a little bit of time, and they have, obviously had to replace Marshall Yonda. But they're still going to win football games, yet the individual pieces – just aren't there for, for what we care about. And at right. some point it makes you look at yourself and be like, well, does it really matter what you do and what you care <laughs> about? Because if, if this is a good football team, then who, who yeah. gives a shit? Right. Right. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's maddening. I mean, it actually makes no sense. Like, like Pat said, uh, the best rushing team in football does not have a startable fantasy running back. And no one would argue against that. No one, especially anybody who, invested a, a draft capital on Dobbins or, or, or Ingram, uh, you know, Greg Roman kept his word and I've never been up more upset about anything in my <laughs> life. Um, it, you know, and he told us, he told us very plainly in August, we'll see, we'll see who gets the nod e- each week. Gus Edwards is going to get involved. Uh, Dobbins will get, get involved in some way. Ingram will be there. Maybe justice Hill, who knows, who knows, you know? Uh, and, and that's, and that's what we've seen. Honestly, even if there was an injury, say, to, to Mark Ingram and he missed some time, you still can't be confident in starting Dobbins because Gus Edwards is there. In fact, I might lean toward Gus Edwards as the better fantasy start than Dobbins. And I think that's that's saying something to the unpredictability of, of this backfield. And I think, Pat, we can all say that Dobbins and Ingram, there's going to be a week where they both are extremely fantasy relevant afterwards but going into it we might not know that like because if you know they could each have 75 yards and a touchdown if not more in each category on 10 touches against the Bengals this weekend right like that is that is absolutely feasible but going into that our process always tells us do you really want a back that has 10 touches or one that this under bench with 17 to 20 touches and because of that it's difficult, as you said, to open this. It's it's difficult to start any of them, which is mind blowing. And you kind of hinted at one of the main problems there. One of the main issues is they haven't played a normal game yet. They've had yeah. three blowout wins and then mm-hmm. one blowout loss. And this week they're two touchdown favorites again against the Bengals. And I just like when are we going to see like the Ravens like true usage 
and like we're it's oct- uh, mid October almost, and we haven't seen like the Ravens' true usage, and yeah, yeah it's just a well, shocking, crazy. November first, Steelers. Then after that, the Colts, and the Colts' defense has been one of the best in the NFL. Um, so there should be two entertaining games, but before then, it's the Bengals and the Eagles. I still think we're in the information gathering process. Like I, w- I don't want to rule out. I know on the waiver podcast we talked with Daigle, and Daigle had Mark Ingram on the drop list this week. That. Yeah. background that's a little bold that's a little bold from like where we are in the season standpoint right now but you know if joshua kelly's out there i'd rather have joshua kelly than mark ingram on my bench right now but i i wouldn't say like hey just get rid of all these ravens players on your team because we always want good players i know that's not what you're saying pat but i just want to correct maybe any interpretations that people had there you from earlier tweet Daigle, it's fine. <laughs> never. i would i would never do that all right i'll close it out staying in the afc north uh, and this actually doesn't even go back to the offseason. It extends to a lot of the conversations we had after week one. But the Browns have built a top five offensive line, and it is the foundation of their winning record at three and one right now. I want to run through their starting lineup and just discuss how kind of crazy it is that they've come together to gel and form already. Um, one, because it's a new offensive line coach in Bill Callahan with a new head coach in Kevin Stefanski, a new offensive system. But you have Jedrick Wills, who's the number 10 overall pick starting at left tackle after playing his career at Alabama at right tackle. And we know how difficult that transition is for plenty of veteran offensive linemen. They just can't do it. And he has. Joe Boltonio at left guard, who's been a mainstay since 2014. Center is J.C. Treader, who is the NFLPA president. I'm sure he just had a few extra things <laughs> yeah. to think of this offseason than a normal one. Um, right guard is Wyatt Teller, who I'll get to in a little bit. And then right tackle, Jack Conklin, who is a big-ticket free agent, who has, again, fit in seamlessly. Uh, Wyatt Teller, you guys know who he is? Can you tell me one thing about Wyatt Teller, Pat? Uh, that he, he, I believe he's on the Cleveland Browns. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, I think it's impossible to know anything about him. He's a total unknown this year and he's already transformed into being one of the best guards in football. I mean, in 2018, he was the number 166 overall pick by the bills. They gave up on him after a year. They traded him to the Browns. Did he drafted for a, as a tackle, by the way. I, I think that's what he played at, at Virginia tech. Anyways, he was traded for a fifth and a sixth round pick played over 500 snaps last year was not good. And then now he comes in this year and he's like, he's the Terminator. I mean, he's the juggernaut. He is running over people in the interior of the defensive line. And I don't, I don't know who it's, it's, it's one of those times that you wish you knew what was going on. Like the inner workings of an organization, like who was the main reason for his development? Maybe it is Bill Callahan. But um, again, we know that this team is 29th in the league in passing and having that foundation for an offensive line is already setting them up for success this early on in the season. Yeah, so maybe it's Bill Callahan, maybe it's Kevin Stefanski who made, you know, really good lemonade out of lemons along the Vikings offensive line last year. And it's the Browns plan is being executed to perfection, which we would not have guessed in week one where they got absolutely boat raced yeah. by the Baltimore Ravens. And, you know, 38 to six. Yeah. Like immediately like the meme Browns again, but yeah, the past three weeks, everything limiting Baker Mayfield's volume being a genuine two running back attack that's unfortunate now, you know, that that'll be put to the test uh, with Nick Chubb and injured reserve for the next few weeks. But you mean, I, I say this as a reference of football. I didn't actually see, but the Browns are almost like, like a 1980s big eight team. Like I'm like watching the university <laughs> of Oklahoma or like the university of Nebraska. Like this is what, like, it's, it's not like they're rotating back. It's we, I don't know how to like make the, the, the discernment here. I want to, but like, this is a genuine 
it's like a co-starting running back. It's not even like a 1A and a 1B almost. Yeah. It's like they're like a genuine two running back attack. And, and it's bully ball. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're yes. crushing people ball. with it. They're crushing people. Yeah, it, uh, it is amazing that they can have a blowout game like they did against Dallas and score 49 points and have Baker Mayfield <laughs> – score 15 fantasy points. I mean, that that's remarkable. And I think that that's, that's what they're going for. You know, that's like, that's like the dream Kevin Stefanski game is the quarterback does almost nothing and they score a bunch of points and they win. Uh, so I think that's what you can expect whenever they can maintain neutral or, or positive game script, you know, so if they go into a week uh, where, you know, they're within a couple points, uh, maybe a, a one or two point underdog, or if they're a, a favorite going into the week, I think that that's, you know, that's what you, you can expect. Uh, and that, yeah, that offensive line is dominating to the point where I, I, I believe, and, and this ties into the philosophy of, of Stefanski and the, and the team itself, uh, that they will continue to run in games even when, when they're down. And so, I, you know, you have to kind of bake that into how you evaluate the uh, rushing options for Cleveland. That's a great point, Denny, because often I think we need to consider – if a team's vision and how they want their team to execute mm-hmm. actually fits with like the strengths of the team, right. In order for them to have longevity and success throughout the season and the Browns does. And I've talked about it a lot in the show over the last few years, I truly believe that offensive line talent and continuity, which is also health is like the biggest difference maker when we get to December and playoff football, like teams that don't have, injuries along their offensive line where they can keep that cohesion once the playoff starts are just at like a massive advantage over everyone else. And if the, if the Browns can do that and maybe I'm already projecting them to the playoffs, which is just a massive achievement. <laughs> and there are seven places we should keep that in mind. I mean, they, they have established the script they have, and it, it's fun to watch. And I even going back to that first game, the offensive line played well against the Browns. I would say like the, the loss wasn't on them. It was on Baker's on everyone else. But as long as Baker like doesn't make mistakes and he just executes everything else and maybe has you know a couple big plays every once in a while, which he's known to do along with Odell, good things can happen with this Browns team. That's been a long time since we've said that. All right, we're just the silent in the silence. But yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean the Browns are good. I don't know what to say. I know um, they do have the Colts this week, which will be another fun test. We just talked about the Colts defensive line, so that'll be a fun one against the the Browns offensive line. Maybe we have some some truths after that, Pat, that we learned from it. It's just a good reminder from the Browns that as much as we don't like to admit it, a rushing offense can occasionally actually be fun. It can actually be fun if you do it in a fun way and like, like an actual thinking man's way and not just like plunging someone into the pile 32 times for no reason. If you design, it is possible to design a well-run and enjoyable to watch running. Yeah. I now have the Arthur shaking fist. (laughs) (laughs) There's, There's a difference between, Peyton Barber running the football and Nick Chubb running the football. At least yes. to be Denny. I don't know about you. Uh, okay. We're going to end it there. Uh, we'll be back on some really cool guy. Do you hear that? There's a, cool, there's a cool guy at 3.54 p.m. Eastern on a Wednesday on a quiet street in Charlotte, North Carolina, that wants you to know that he loves his car very much. He, lo- he loves his car very much. Some cool guys here in Charlotte. All right. We'll be back on Thursday evening for a game-by-game preview with Pat, with Daigle, with Hayden. Also, we'll be back on Sunday, Frodo World Live, noon Eastern on Twitch, on YouTube, on Periscope. As always, that is served by Applebee's. Uh, Denny, before we get out of here, 
tell the people what they can expect in your target decoder column this week. Who headlines it? Yes, uh, we have David Montgomery headlining Ooh. the decoder. Yes, and I, I'm I'm uneasy about it, but I spelled it out in the article. If you like to check it out, it's on the site. Uh, usually, the target decoder piece goes up on Tuesdays, so check it out. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, I talk about Montgomery's uh, new role and new usage in the uh, post Tariq Cohen Bears offense. Josh, you the passing game. Us. I'm sure you got to tell us who's going to bust now. Obviously. Uh, well, I, I, I took the easy way out in a few places. Carson Wentz made the list. Miko Hardman made the list. Um, I mentioned A.J. Brown in there as well. Uh, who knows if that game actually has played, but I'm well, totally he's a huge cool. bus, zero points this week. I mean, See? that's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, but the headliner is a guy who started in 90% of leagues out there, uh, Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon, even yeah. off of his like fantastic oh, week yeah. four performance, uh, Joe Mixon has 17 point dogs to the Baltimore Ravens, not exactly lining up with a successful running back role for someone who I believe was running back 27 through the first few weeks of the season. And then obviously hit hard last week in a good mm. way. So check out the five busts up on Roto world as well. All right, let's get out of here for Jenny Carter for Roto Pat. I'm Josh Norris up the villa. Talk to you soon. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.